Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're with us today. If you're joining us for the first time, you're in part four of a five-part series where we're doing a 35,000-foot flyover over the last book of the Bible, the Revelation given to John. The book gets its title, Revelation, from a word that we're going to discover here in your outline in the, under point A. And that word revelation is the, it means, or it comes from a Greek word, an ancient Greek word, apocalypsis, which where we get the English word apocalypse. And if you see apocalypse, it always means, you always see it with like a mushroom cloud behind it or something horrible. There's war and famine and other things. That's because some of the things that were revealed in the revelation to John were war and famine and all those things. Today, we're going to talk about a revelation that John received regarding the end times about when Jesus returns. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus' second coming, a person who will be in power over the whole world at that time, a person the Bible calls the Antichrist, and a final battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Good morning. Anyway, uh, yeah, I was having a great day till now, John. Wow, this sounds heavy. Well, it is pretty heavy, but let me tell you, there's lots of good news in this outline because here's a summary of the whole thing. Jesus wins. Yeah, yeah, if you wonder, there's no doubt. Oh, you're going to be encouraged today. Oh, you're going to be encouraged. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I just pray that today you'll speak and move me out of the way. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are talking about some heavy stuff today. Jesus' second coming, the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, Lord, you give us these things so we can know what's about to happen. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. And remind us of some things that are about to happen. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Point A on your outline, about 60 years after he ascended into heaven, Jesus pulled back the curtain on himself, heaven, and the end times for his disciple John. We're using the pulled back the curtain theme because that's what the word revelation means. It means to reveal. You could think of it like a statue that was being put in a museum with a, a drape over it and they pulled the drape off. That's revelation. Apocalypsis. Wow. Never saw that. Well, that's the way it is with the end times. How would you and I know what's going to happen in the future? We wouldn't unless somebody told us. Well, who's telling us? Let's look. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Who's it from? Jesus Christ. Jesus told us this. So it's trustworthy and true. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, that's you and me, the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. This is the disciple John, one of the 12 disciples, same John who wrote the gospel of John, also in the New Testament, first, second, and third John, those letters, same guy. Okay. So this is Jesus' disciple, John. He's an old man on an island called Patmos. Think Alcatraz, it's a prison island. He's there because he refuses to bow down to the emperor at that time. Won't worship him, only worships Jesus. So he was exiled to this prison island so he wouldn't contaminate anybody with his teachings about Jesus and him being king of kings and lord of lords. Anyway, an angel came to John to present this revelation from Jesus. This was presented to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. 
Now, this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. That's me. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. That's y'all. Well, it's me too. I got to listen to it too. For the time is near. These are things that will take place soon. A day is like a thousand years with the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. Well, two days have passed since this was written. If it's, he could be coming very soon. People ask me all the time, do you think this is happening soon? Well, we'll read some of the descriptions here. You'll be able to tell me by the end of this message. And the answer is yeah. Point B, Jesus pulled back the curtain on his second coming. That's what we're talking about today. His first coming is when he came as a little baby in Bethlehem. If you want to know more about that, please tune in in a couple of months. We're going to go all through it at Christmas. I promise you. That's his first coming. This is his second. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. He's talking about Jesus. We spent a lot of time a couple of weeks ago talking about the throne room of heaven where the angels bow down before the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus is faithful and true. And today you're going to hear about the Antichrist, a corrupt world leader who is possessed by the devil himself. And he is false and a liar and a deceiver. Jesus is the exact opposite. He is faithful and true. And he judges fairly. And he wages a righteous war. And the battle of Armageddon is a time when God's wrath will be poured out on people who refuse to come to the Lord. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. His eyes like flames of fire means he sees things crystal clear. You never have to worry, is Jesus getting this wrong? Mm -mm. He sees things exactly as they are. And by the way, he loves you and me. That's what's so great. You can come to God with anything, no matter how foolish or sinful we've been, we can come to him. He knows exactly who we are and he loves us anyway. And if that's good news to you, would you say amen? amen? Yeah. I mean, don't ever think, oh, I can't tell God about that. He saw you. Yeah, but does he love me? Yeah, that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Hmm. On his head were many crowns. The idea behind that is that he is king of all kings. His throne is above all others. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. So here's a picture of Jesus riding a right horse coming through the clouds. And there's a name written on his robe here and nobody can pronounce it or know what it means. Why would he do that? It's like, this is such a wonderful reminder that Jesus is indescribable. I mean, he's revealed, pull back the curtain on some things about himself. But y'all, people have wondered, what are we going to do in heaven all the time? Do you know we could study Jesus forever in heaven and never begin? He's limitless. Infinite. Amazing. And there's a name written that you and I couldn't pronounce and wouldn't understand. Only he knows what it means. He's amazing. He wore a robe dipped in in blood. He shed his blood on the cross for you and me. And so when he judges and he's faithful and true, he'll forgive all who want forgiveness. You can count on it. He paid the price with his own blood. He loves you so much he died on the cross so that all the sins that you and I should be punished for, he was punished in our place. 
He took God's wrath so you and I could go free. Can I get an amen? amen. I should have asked for a hallelujah, but anyway, I'll take amen. That's good. Yeah, that, thank you. Here we go. I got a free hallelujah. Okay. Now the army's in heaven. Oh, and his title was the word of God. The word of God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. When God spoke, the universe came into being. That's significant. We'll come back to that, that the word has power. You'll see that again and again, just letting you know. The armies of heaven, these are angels and saints who, have, um, who are in the Lord's presence here, are dressed in the finest pure white linen, which means all their sins have been washed away. And they're riding with him as he comes back um, for his rightful, to take his rightful place as king of the earth. And they follow him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And again, these are people who have refused to believe in the Lord. If you weren't with us last week, there are three series of judgments that come. Terrible judgments and plagues that will come on the earth. It will be beyond dispute that these are judgments from God. The Bible even says earlier, I mean, if you go back and watch it online last, from last week's message, you'll see this. Even when people knew this was judgment from God for their sins, they refused to repent. And so when Jesus comes, the wrath will be poured out on people who will stubbornly refuse to come to him. And the sharp sword is his word, which will judge them fairly. To strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron rod, with justice. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Could we read that title out loud together, please? King of all kings, Lord of all lords. One more time. King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's who Jesus is. There is no one mightier than he. A couple of observations. Jesus will come back in the same way he left. After Jesus was crucified, he was placed in a tomb on Good Friday. On Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over about a month and a half. For 40 days, he appeared to his disciples on a whole series of occasions. And then at the end of that period, he was with them on the Mount of Olives. They were talking to him and asking him about the second coming and what they should be doing. If you want to go home and read all this, you can read all of Acts chapter 1. And that's what they're talking about there. At the end of Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven right in front of them. Physically. Uh, in plain sight, in his body, he ascends into the clouds. And the disciples are all standing there watching and looking into the clouds to see where he went. And while they're standing there, two angels appear right beside him. And here's what they say. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. You saw him lifted up bodily, physically, in plain sight, going into the clouds. When he returns, he'll come back bodily, physically, through the clouds. John, do you really believe this? I do. That's what it says in Acts. That's what it says in Revelation. Yes, that's what's going to happen. When? Soon. Secondly, Jesus will come back riding a white horse, not a donkey. 
When Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Good Friday when he was crucified, and the whole crowds were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're throwing palm branches on the road. He was riding a white, he was riding a donkey because he wanted to show he was coming in peace. If a king came in in battle formation or in charging into battle, he would ride a white charger. This was how they would show victory after a battle is when you ride a white horse. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords in victory. When he came the first time, he came riding a donkey to make peace between sinful people and holy God. We are sinners. God is sinless. And Jesus came to be the sacrifice for our sin. That's why um, he will not be coming to make peace the second time, but to wage war against rebellious humanity. In Matthew 21, 5, when he came riding a donkey on Palm Sunday, they were quoting Zechariah 9, 9, and Jesus was where it is quoted there saying, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, because he was coming in to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, this is something you have to understand, or the rest of this probably won't make much sense, but we don't define things correctly sometimes. Jesus came to pay the penalty for all our sins, but he didn't just come to pay the penalty for our sins, which are behaviors. He came to replace our sin nature. Let me explain a little more. We define sins as bad behavior, like don't smoke or cuss or chew or go out with girls who do, that type of thing. That's how, that's how we define sin, okay? The Bible defines sin as our sin nature that we inherit from our parents who inherited it from their parents and great-grandparents all the way back to Adam and Eve. What is a sin nature? It is a deliberate, determined independence from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were told not to eat the fruit off a particular tree in the middle of the garden. That's what they ate from when they were tempted. It was deliberate, determined, it was so delicious and make them so wise it would make them just like God. They were going to make their own decision. That's sin. And you can put any sinful behavior you want in here. Pride, gossip, sexual immorality, greed, murder, theft. Keep going. All of them are deliberate and determined. So when a person comes to Christ, we not only say, Lord, forgive me for my sins and pay the penalty for my sins, but Lord, I need you to replace my sin nature. That's why Jesus said things like this. He said, if you come to me, you must be born again. To come to Christ is not only asking him to forgive us for our sins and then we'll try to do better. If I have a sin nature, I can't do better. I come to Jesus and say, God, forgive me. I thank you for paying the penalty for my sins on the cross. Now, Lord, I come to you, put your Holy Spirit inside of me, change me. And the New Testament tells us that he gives us a new heart. He gives us a transplant. He takes out our stubborn, stony, rebellious heart and replaces it with a heart of flesh that delights to do God's will. And so the closer I get to God and the more I trust him, the more I love to be with him, the more I want to obey him and do his will. That's what it means to come to Jesus. I don't want to be deliberate and determined to do things my own way. I want to go your way. And Lord, if you give me your spirit within me, you'll give me the desire and the power to do that. Change me. That's why we use words like repent, which means turn around, surrender. I give up. 
Yield. I can keep going. This is what it means to come to Jesus. And at the end of the world, after a whole series of plagues that we went through last time, and again, I'd encourage you to watch last week, all during these plagues, people are coming to Christ right and left all around the world, millions upon millions, beyond number, because they're realizing, oh my gosh, it was all true. Right now, today, millions of people are coming to Christ around the world. Today is a great day for you to come to Christ if you haven't come to Christ yet. Today. Because he replaces our old sin nature and gives us a brand new heart. If this is good news this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Hmm, it's good news. Jesus will not come back, point three, until the entire world has had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords, but they're going to be able to respond to the gospel. What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. What's the good news? I don't have to be deliberate and determined to run my life on my own anymore. I've screwed it all up and messed it up. I can come to Jesus and he'll give me a new nature. He'll take away my old sin nature and change me from the inside out. Mm. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so all nations will hear it and then the end will come. What about the people who haven't heard? Everyone will have heard. And if you weren't with us last week, when those judgments are happening, it'll be point blank obvious. God will send two amazing prophets in the end times who will warn the whole world and they will do supernatural signs. He'll send 144,000 people empowered by the Holy Spirit, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel that he will awaken and they will go around the world proclaiming the good news. This will happen. It will come. And then the end will come. Point four. What's that look like? Well, that's when Jesus comes back. Jesus will come back at a time when a person, the Antichrist, who is an imposter, supernaturally empowered by Satan, rules the world. There will be a world king. One king over all the world. We can't even imagine it. But one person ruling the whole planet. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clearly clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me clarify some things. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, this imposter supernaturally empowered by Satan, the Antichrist, that's who we're talking about here, until he is revealed. He will come on the scene as a great problem solver, somebody who can solve all the world's problems. In 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, false teachers come as an angel of light. This guy will come as the brightest, best politician ever. That's how he'll be uh, the person who rules the whole world. Come with all the answers. He'll be supernaturally gifted and empowered by Satan himself, and he'll be a great deceiver. He is the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and he will defy everything that people call God, every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself 
is God. He will not just claim to be the best politician on earth. He will claim to be God in the flesh. This is why he's called the Antichrist. Anti can mean against Christ or it can mean instead of Christ. Both are true. He's a replacement. This man will come do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, wonders, and miracles. And if you could write or just circle in there on your outline, the key word there is counterfeit. The devil is always trying to sell us counterfeits. Hey, I know the Bible says you need to do it this way, but you don't have to wait. Just do this. It's good to get good grades on a test, but, you know, you can cheat and get the good grades without studying. Counterfeit. Always a way to beat the system. And every time he gives us one of those things, it starts out like a good solution, always ends up in disaster. Because this is what the devil is. He is deliberate and determined to be independent of God. And this is where he will lead us. And the Antichrist is the ultimate embodiment of this. This is a man literally demon-possessed by Satan himself, running the whole world. Counterfeit Christ. Remember, Christ is God in the flesh. This will be the devil in the flesh. That's what we're talking about. Claiming he's God. He will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. Uh, he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Here we go again. Why will they not come to Jesus? Because they are deliberate and determined to be independent from God. Never think that people will accidentally turn away from Jesus here. Won't be any accident to it. Just like today, you and I can acknowledge that we are sinners. We can acknowledge that. I do things I know are wrong. I have a sin nature. So do you. I can prove it to you. Anybody ever heard eat less, exercise more? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. That lasts all the way up to the hot donut light is on at Krispy Kreme. That's sure. A little more about the Antichrist here, Revelation chapter 19, or chapter 13. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. This man will look like a great politician to you and me. This is how he looks to God. He looks like a beast, like a wild animal out to devour people. It had seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on its horns. The ten horns... With crowns represent, most people think it means that there's 10 countries that would come together to form a coalition government for the whole world. And this king, this earth king, this antichrist would come from among them. The seven heads in Revelation 17 are said to refer to a city that sits on seven hills. That's Rome. And so this could mean literally a future coalition government that is with headquartered in Rome, Italy, or it could mean they would have the characteristics of the old Roman Empire they conquered by brute force. The ten horns, ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head 
were names that blasphemed God, this man will be a blasphemer. To blaspheme means to mock and ridicule and make light of. He will make light of God's word and make light of God's people and laugh at the things the scripture teaches. This beast will look like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion. I'm going to, in the margin, if you can write Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, three chapters in the Old Testament book of Daniel. You'll find out more about each of those. But there were kingdoms that Daniel saw in the future that would come that had the characteristics of like a leopard. It would move swiftly. Or like a lion would be ferocious. Or like a bear would be very strong and lumbering along. This will be all of those put together. And the dragon, Satan, gave the beast, the Antichrist, his own power and throne and great authority. Remember, this is a person empowered by Satan to deceive the whole world. I saw the one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed and the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power and they also worshiped the beast. Who's as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who's able to fight against him? Well, this is a counterfeit. Resurrection. He's got a fatal wound and it's miraculously healed by the power of Satan. And the whole world says, oh my goodness, this guy must be the real Messiah. He can come back from the dead. It's a counterfeit. World leader. Looks great on the outside. It's a beast on the inside. Coming soon. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies, mockeries again against God. He was given authority to do whatever he wants for 42 months. Just hang on to that. It's three and a half years. He spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God. He slandered his name, his dwelling, and that is those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them. He was given authority to rule over every tribe. Um, uh, rule over tribe and people and language and nation and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They're the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb and who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with, who has, with ears to hear should listen and understand. And so there will be a 42 month, three and a half year period where he has power to attack the people who come to Christ during this tribulation period. I told you a little bit ago, Many, many millions of people will. He will hunt them down. Imprison some, beat others, kill a bunch of them. But there will be many who come to Christ. Now assisting him, the Antichrist will have a false prophet. He will be a false counterfeit king. This will be a counterfeit prophet. Someone who leads people to worship the beast. He is also supernaturally empowered by Satan. He'll do amazing miracles with satanic power that will deceive people into worshiping the Antichrist instead of God. A little more from Revelation chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb. 
He looks like a lamb, like a religious person. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, he said, false prophets will come. There'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. Have you ever heard the phrase wolves in sheep's clothing? Jesus came up with that. Good illustration. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Matthew 7, 15. But he spoke with the voice of a dragon. So he'll look like this religious leader who's calling people to worship this mighty savior of the world. And he's really possessed by the devil himself. And it's all a trick. He exercised the authority of the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak another miracle. And the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. This is to remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were told to bow down to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made or they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. Yeah, and so if you're going to be a Christian, become a Christian in those days, it'll cost you your life. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 tells us that people who refuse to do that will be beheaded and their heads will be cut off. Doesn't mean people will, won't come. They will. They'll realize this man is wicked. He's a liar. This is a deception. And they'll be given eternal life in heaven and a place of honor in heaven, but it will cost them their life on earth. The false prophet required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. No one should, could buy or sell anything without that mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name, Wisdom's needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. For it's the number of a man. His number is 666. And this is important too. We live in a day when many people can uh, understand that we have microchip technology that allows Walmart to track a box of Wheaties anywhere in the world. And, you know, now... You take your dog to the vet, they'll probably put a chip in the dog so it can be identified if it gets lost or other things like this. I want you to understand, just because the technology exists to give us, uh, for this type of thing to happen, does not mean the technology itself is the mark of the beast. So if Fido has a chip, please don't, does Fido have the mark of the beast? John Schmidt said Fido has the mark of the beast. No, I did not. I did not. That may be what that is. Okay, but the mark of the beast will not be given to anyone accidentally. They will not give you this mark unless you swear allegiance to the false prophet. That's what it's for. And to the, and to the beast and to Satan. It will be deliberate, determined independence from the true God. You will not accidentally be chipped. Do not worry about that. Because you will have to swear allegiance in order to get it. This is important. Now look, I did all kinds of web searches lately here just to find out who people are searching for. The number one web search right now of who is the Antichrist is Donald Trump. 
Right behind it, a close second, Barack Obama. Right behind Barack Obama, Pope Francis. Right behind him, the 12th Imam. Who? The Messiah that's predicted by Islam to come, who will rule the world for seven years. If you want some interesting reading, that's some interesting reading. Hmm. I mean, these things are all out there in speculation. People speculated that Napoleon was the Antichrist. They certainly thought in the 1940s, they certainly thought Hitler was the Antichrist. You can imagine that, right? We will all know when he comes. There won't be a secret. But we're not supposed to spend our time focused on who he is. You know what we're supposed to spend our time on? Who Jesus is. Because you're about to see the Antichrist is no match for him. When Jesus comes back, the Antichrist, this is point five on your outline. When Jesus comes back, the Antichrist will gather all the world's armies together in a ludicrous attempt to make war on the Lord of heaven's armies. And I saw three evil spirits, this is Revelation 16, look like frogs, leap from the mouths of the dragon, Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They're the demonic spirits who work miracles and go out into the rulers of the world to gather them all for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. This is a plain north of Israel, north of Jerusalem in Israel, miles wide. Napoleon once fought a battle there. He said, this is the most natural battlefield on all the earth. And there will be demonic spirits to gather all the armies of the world there for when Jesus returns to fight against him. And that's ludicrous. I've never used ludicrous in an outline before. I was really happy to do that. That was fun. Because it is ludicrous. And you'll see why in a second. Back to Revelation 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse. Remember the white horse coming through the clouds? This is the same thing. One sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured. And together with him, the false prophet who did the mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Uh, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped the statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. The battle of Armageddon lasts this long. Why? Because Jesus slays them with a sword from his mouth, with his word. Paul writing about this, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. The Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Why? Remember I told you Jesus is the word of God? Remember the power of the word. There was a time when the disciples were traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was asleep in the boat. A terrible storm came up. Waves were crashing in the boat. The disciples thought they were going to drown. They woke Jesus up in the storm. They said, Jesus, we're going to drown. Don't you care? And Jesus got up and he said, quiet. And the storm stopped and the sky was clear and the boat was sitting on calm water. With one word, all of nature stopped. Because Jesus is the word, the living word who created all things. In the beginning, he said that there be light 
and light appear. He can speak and galaxies appear. How absurd is it to aim a tank at him? I mean, it's madness. Jesus is standing outside of a tomb. Lazarus, his good friend, is inside. Lazarus' sister, Martha, is standing outside with him. He says, roll away the stone. And Martha goes, no, Lord, he's been there for four days. Molder it in the grave. He's going to, by now, Lord, he stinketh, King James Version. And he did stunketh. He stunketh a loteth, okay? He did. And you know what Jesus did? Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out at the word of Jesus. With his word, he overcame life. And he didn't come out as a zombie, all flesh hanging off his bones. Came out completely whole and healthy. The night before Jesus was crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. He doesn't want them to be taken away with him when they haul him away. And so these people come to arrest him. They said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he steps forward and he says, I am he. And when he says just those words, all the people who come to arrest him fall backwards on the ground. There is power in his word. <laughs> and the Antichrist and the false prophet are bound and thrown headfirst into the lake of fire. Praise God. This is how long the battle of Armageddon will last. Enough! It's over. Everyone dies. Who? The people who were deliberate and determined that even, they saw, even when they saw Jesus riding a white horse coming to the sky, they were going to be independent of God and follow that deceiver, the Antichrist, and they'll watch him pitched headfirst, be pitched headfirst into the lake of fire. Jesus wins. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, we are putting our faith in the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Remember we read that? Understand who we worship here. And there will come a day when evil will be dealt with. If you're ever wondering, when will all this be done? This is when it will happen. Four life applications, though, real quickly. First of all, you and I must never forget how powerful God's word is. It's not only powerful, it was not only powerful when Jesus calmed the sea and raised Lazarus from the dead and the people arresting him fell backward. It's powerful at the end of history when he comes riding a white horse and it's powerful now. That's why we read God's word every single week here. I want you to read it. Why I want you to read it every day yourself. Read it because this is what changes us. When he, erases our, when he changes our sin nature, he gives us a new nature that we feed with the word of God. Mm. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, exposes our innermost slots and desires, and God changes us. Oh, we thank God for his word. His word is our guide because it's living and powerful. This is important because the next point, we must beware of false teachers. There will be false, there'll be a false prophet then. There are false prophets now. There always have been. And they always distort God's word. And they teach things contrary to God's word. Dear friends, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. Well, how will you test them? By God's word. Does this line up with what his Bible says, what the Bible says? 
For there are many false prophets in the world. If someone claims to be a prophet but doesn't acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he came in the flesh, that he's coming again, that he died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins, one day he's coming back and he will pour out the wrath of God on people who refuse to repent. If they don't acknowledge those things, they're false. And we live in a day when there are many people online who are teaching things that are false. Beware. You and I must know God's word. If someone claims to be a prophet, doesn't acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the same spirit as the Antichrist because he's trying to trick people too. Which you heard is coming into the world and is indeed already here. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Demonic spirits like the ones who will deceive the nations then are working now, deceiving people now. This is why we are to be salt and light. Remember, we're like a light, like a city on a hill. Do y'all remember this? That's us. People with a new nature, filled with the Holy Spirit. People with God's word. Not people who are deliberately determined to mock God, mock the Bible. There is no heaven. There is no hell. Bible's full of junk. You can't trust it. Boy, you can't hear any of that online anymore. It's all we hear. It's all we hear. Thirdly, you and I must prepare for Jesus' second coming by doing the things he told us to do when he came the first time. This is what we're just talking about, about being salt and light. We're the ones who get to serve people and help people. When we take work crews down to help people recover from the hurricane, it's a good way to serve him. When we warn people about the wrath that is to come, that's a kindness. It's not judging them. It's telling them this is coming. When we pray with people who are sick, when we give to the needy, all these things are God's will for us. A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that servant's done a good job, there'll be a reward. Who's, tell, who's saying this? Jesus. I mean, people often tell me, they say, Jesus never talked about hell. Jesus never talked about judgment. He's the one who gave the whole revelation. And Jesus is talking here in Matthew 24. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and he thinks, ah, my master won't be back for a while. He begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk. Well, that master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying, guys, I mean, if you believe what I say, then do what I'm asking you to do. Fourthly, as believers, we don't need to fear Jesus' second coming. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians last week, I read you the other passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We won't all die. We'll all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when that trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. We need new bodies to live in heaven, supernatural bodies. Now, I just want to put some things together we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. This chart is not in the Bible. This is a chart that I'm drawing just to tell you the way I think all these things that we've talked about fit together. 
Daniel 9, verse 27, talks about there'll be a seven-year period when the Antichrist comes to power. That's what this represents. That's the tribulation period. It's the same time as last week where we talked about a series of judgments happening that would all happen during the seven-year period in the end times. It's called the tribulation. Halfway through, with 46 months to go, we read that a little bit ago, the Antichrist will set up, have his false prophets set up that statue that people worship that comes to life. There's three and a half years remaining. The Battle of Armageddon would be right here at the end of that seven years. This is when the second coming would be. This is Armageddon. I'll just put arm and you'll figure it out. People ask me then, well, when will the rapture be? This taken up in the blink of an eye. Well, Jesus said it'd be a time when nobody expects it. Well, if we know there's 36 months left after this statue is set up in the temple, and by the way, the temple hasn't even been rebuilt yet. It implies that there's going to be a temple in Jerusalem for it to stand in. And this guy will come to power to make all that happen. Well, then it wouldn't make sense. We would know pretty much within, Jesus said, no one will know the day or the hour. Well, then it makes sense for the rapture to happen here before the tribulation because we wouldn't know it's coming. This would be the first event. All the Christians would disappear, be taken home. It also says in 1 Thessalonians, or where we read this earlier from chapter, in chapter 5, 11, it says we are not saved for wrath. So this is the position I hold. There are Christians who hold different positions of when the rapture will happen. This is before, what I'm showing you on this chart is before the tribulation period begins. So this is a pre-tribulation view. There are some people who believe that the rapture will happen before this abomination of desolation is set up. They would hold a mid-tribulation position. Pre-trib, mid-trib. There are some people who believe Jesus' second coming and the rapture all happen at the same time. They hold a post-tribulation view. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Make sense? One respected Bible scholar I know says he holds a pan-tribulation view. If you wonder what that is, he says it's all going to pan out in the end. We don't know. Okay? <laughs> He's probably right. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. Soon. That's why we're discussing it. We don't need to be afraid. I want to have a word of prayer for us today. And um, then we're going to take communion together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, there are many who mock everything I said today. They will laugh at this to their own peril. I didn't write this. I'm simply saying what it says. Father, we are sinners and we know it and we need forgiveness. That's why we come to Jesus. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, pray with me now. Oh Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. 
I don't have the strength to change. I need you to give me a new nature. I need to be born again. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. God, replace my stubborn, stony heart with a heart of flesh. Give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Please, Lord. Father, I also pray for those of us who have, man, we've known you for years, Lord. You remind us that this is our time to be busy telling the whole world about you. Thank you for telling us what's to come. Thank you for the promises of a rapture. New bodies that'll never die ever again. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for working in our hearts, changing us, make us more like Jesus every day. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.